here with uh, Bishop James Conley from the Diocese of Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, thank you, Bishop Conley, for uh, meeting with me today. You're welcome, Nick. It's good to be with you. Thank you. Um, what I'd like to talk a little bit about today is um, young people in the context of uh, the liturgy and their Latin patrimony. Mm -hmm. um, my maternal grandmother's uh, side of the family was Byzantine Catholic, and over the last few decades, I've seen how they have regained their Byzantine patrimony. I noticed something similar happening in the Latin rite with our patrimony. Mm -hmm. um, now, your diocese has consistently gotten many vocations to the priesthood. I believe in a two-year period, you had ordained 17 men to the priesthood. Correct, that's correct. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's amazing, Out, outpacing dioceses like L.A. and archdiocese like Chicago. Um, what, would, what would you say has contributed to this relative boom of priestly vocations in your diocese? Well, there's a lot of uh, reasons for that, I believe. Grace, lots of grace, obviously. But um, I'd say that several things that really, I think, directly uh, are attributed to this is the Episcopal leadership. We've had uh, basically 40-plus years of good bishops. Two, uh, the, my, my most immediate predecessors come to mind, Bishop Fabian Bruskowitz, who was Bishop of Lincoln for 20 years, and Bishop Glennon Flavin, who was bishop for about 22 years since 1967. So in those turbulent post-conciliar years, um, since the end of the Second Vatican Council, um, we had our diocese you know, led by bishops who really were very clear in their teaching and were very faithful to the magisterium and what the church's patrimony was as far as doctrine goes, and the liturgy. Uh, you know, the, the revolution after the Second Vatican Council took many shapes and forms. You had the sexual revolution, but you also had the liturgical revolution, you had the doctrinal revolution, everything was up for grabs. And in Lincoln, the, the, they steered a steady course. And um, so there was, there was never any liturgical aberrations. Um, the priests uh, were told very clearly that they would follow and celebrate the Mass the way the church once celebrated. And that was, there were no exceptions to that. Um, and as far as teaching goes, uh, the schools, the um, priests, taught very sound doctrine. And the result is two things. One, our vocations stayed steady. So even though I've had the privilege of ordaining, I think about 25 men in, in the last five years since I've been to Lincoln, um, and uh, which is about five a year, we still have the highest number of seminarians per Catholic in the country. We have 96,000 Catholics, and we have currently 39 seminarians. So, um, you know, we are small diocese. Mm -hmm. But um, the result of that leadership, and I have inherited that, so I don't attribute it to myself at all. I just don't want to mess it up. <laughs> I want to keep it going. But right. um, I really have been the beneficiary of the great leadership of those two bishops. But the result has been is, is vocations. And, you know, there's nothing. Um, success breeds success. So, um, you know, we have 146 active priests in the Diocese of Lincoln, and the average age is 41. That's over 20 years younger than I am. So I'm the old guy <laughs> in the diocese. <laughs> That's a good problem and to have, though. It Let's is. It's not a bad guys. problem. And when you have all these young priests who are in the parishes and in the schools and, you know, 
in the university, then young people see an example of religious life. And we have religious sisters. Uh, Bishop Flavin started a community of school sisters who teach in our schools, Fantastic. School Sisters of Christ the King. I just elevated them to the level of a diocesan right. And um, they continue to teach. Four of them are principals in our grade schools. They teach in our grade schools. We have 37 religious sisters in full habit teaching in our schools, and we have 48 priests that are either administrators or teaching in our schools. So Catholic education has been a very important part of the success of the Diocese of Lincoln. So to, get, to summarize, liturgy, uh, you know, worship where people feel like they when they come to Mass, they're in contact with the transcendent. You know, this is where I think liturgy, sacred liturgy is so important. You talked about our patrimony. Mm -hmm. You know, we have this rich liturgical tradition and you go back throughout the history of the church, what is the sacred liturgy supposed to do? Well, the sacred, sacred liturgy is supposed to put us in contact with the transcendent God. You know, that we're supposed to have an experience of the holy. And um, that's what the holy sacrifice of the Mass is. That's why the Lord said, do this in remembrance of me. And, um, and the beauty of that experience, the beauty of the, of the music, the beauty of the worship and the reverence and the piety, takes people out of the workaday world, the everyday mundane world that we live in, very, a lot of suffering and hardship, and they have this contact for a while with the holy. And, and that's key. People have to be nourished. We, our, our souls desire contact with the holy. And if we're deprived of that, we wither away. And so we need that. And people, when they discover it, they, they need more of it. So one of the initiatives that I'm really trying to promote is Eucharistic adoration in all of our parishes, as many parishes as we can. Because uh, when we come before our Lord and his Eucharistic face, the sacrament of divine friendship as it's sometimes called. Um, our Lord's heart speaks to our heart and we need those moments. There are very few places today that are left where we can be relatively certain that we're not gonna be interrupted. In right. Eucharistic Adoration Chapels, if, as long as you turn your phone off, Eucharistic Adoration Chapels are one of the last places, the last oases of silence absolutely and people need that people need that and here in focus you know at at the at sls 18 and, and and at seek and also youth retreats and engage encounter and all the different uh, apostolates of the church and in applications for seminaries people say that where they really heard the lord speak to their hearts is in the quiet moments of Eucharistic adoration. People in parishes, their marriages are falling apart and they go before the Lord and they're just in shambles and they let the Lord speak to them and heal them. Um, this is where it all happens and that's why Eucharistic adoration is so important. I totally agree with you. That's, that, that's a beautiful thought and I'm glad that we have it available here. Um, and I'm also happy that you had brought up the, uh, the transcendence in the liturgy. Um, You've been celebrating um, the ordinary form of the Mass um, at Orientum each Advent for several years now, and several other priests have done the same in your diocese and around the country as well. Uh, this past summer, I was able to sit down with a Byzantine Rite priest, Father Thomas Loya of the Ruthenian Catholic Eparchy in Parma. Um, we had talked about at Orientum worship and the life of the Church, and in the course of our conversation, 
he had noted that turning the altars back around was of the utmost importance and that doing so was, quote, holding the key to everything in the Latin Rite Church. Do you believe that in worshiping at Orientum, lay people and priests alike are more apt to feel that they are being lifted up to partake in the heavenly liturgy? I do agree with that, and I've experienced that in my own priesthood. Um, I, way back in the 1990s, I was chaplain at Wichita State University uh, in Wichita, and I, um, during Advent one year, um, began celebrating Ad Orientum, facing east, um, with the Advent theme of looking to the east and the star and everything, and, and I just continued to do it because the college students, I did catechesis, and I explained to everyone why this tradition has been so prevalent in the church just up until recent times, right. and how we are all worshiping together. We're all facing the Lord together, and the priest is leading us to the New Jerusalem. To, to, to heaven and that we stand in solidarity with one another offering worship to God um, and it's not the priest facing the people and speaking to them it's all of us facing God right. and so I have always been a big fan of Ad Orientum and then when I was uh, when I came to Lincoln I, I, uh, I introduced it at the cathedral uh, for Advent, and then I encouraged priests. I said, if if you believe that this would help you, you know, and your people, uh, you by all means do this as long as you give the catechesis Absolutely. and explain to it to Welcome the people. Home. So, like you said, that we have a number of of pastors that have done that. I do it now every time I celebrate Mass at the cathedral, at the Newman Center, at our seminary, and at our retreat house. And I don't and I don't force it. I mean, if uh, there and there's some things you can't do it because architecturally it's yeah, hard. You know? of course. But it's catching on more and more, and I think, you know, the people really do respond to that. And it, and you know, I think as a priest, we think it's going to be really shocking, you know, to people. Yeah. Um, and it's not. You know, people just like, oh, right, fine, Father. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 the funny thing is. Uh, you end up facing the people during a normal mass longer um, than you don't face them because <laughs> you know you begin the mass and you do the introductory rite and the readings and the homily mm -hmm. and then you go to the altar yeah and then so it's basically I timed it once it's basically you know I think three fifths you're facing the people two fifths of the time you're you're you're, you're facing the altar. Yeah, for the liturgy of the Eucharist and then you're... That's it. And you're giving communion, you're facing the people. You're right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, but I would agree that, that, that it, it's very also, it's very helpful for the priest because it's less distracting for the priest. He's real focused on really the most important thing that he's doing. The most important thing that he ever does, and that is offering the Holy Sacrifice. And when you are, you know, when you're, when you're focused on, on the action of the Mass, and that's all you see, and over the host in the, in, the, in the precious blood, then you know you're more you're more tuned in mm -hmm. than I think when you're facing a whole congregation of people. Not that you 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 can't be focused in that way. You can, of course, but it's harder. You have to concentrate more. That's good to point out. I, I, I think it really is. And um, so you mentioned that for priests. 
um, for, and you also mentioned for lay people, but for specifically young people, you know, mainly millennials and maybe even some Gen Zers, uh, right. you know, as we're getting to that point already, uh, do you believe that they are more open to the liturgical patrimony of the Latin Rite than older generations? Like, have you seen an uptick in the amount of young people maybe embracing the Latin traditions in the past five or ten years? Well, one example, just a couple weeks ago during Advent, one of our priests celebrated a Rorati Celi Mass during Advent, a Saturday morning Mass at 6 o'clock a.m. in the dark, just candlelit, yes. extraordinary form. Haunting. And it was a solemn high Mass, and they had the choir. 450 college students showed up for that. Oh, my gosh. I've never been able to experience it, and it sounds... It was amazing, and I, you know, I thought... And when he came, I said, fine, go ahead. I said, I mean, you're not going to get college students up at 6 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but the word went out on Facebook and Twitter, and they all showed up. And they said it was amazing because um, they had this beautiful choir singing sacred polyphony and chant. Mm -hmm. And the, they loved it. They had a great experience of, of the transcendent and the holy. That's beautiful. It's, it's so encouraging to hear. Um, and and this, this will be my last question for you. Um, you know, many of these young people that are you know, discovering the, the riches of Latin rights patrimony, um, they're doing it on their own. Unfortunately, you know, many of these young people um, sometimes find themselves in indifferent or sometimes even hostile environments, which at times these environments might prefer a mistaken interpretation of the Second Vatican Council. What advice would you give to these young people that are really trying to uncover and share their legitimate traditions and patrimony? I would say to be patient and to pray and to not give up. Um, I think that sometimes it's hard, especially for priests, to you know to be open to to some of the great liturgical traditions that um, you know in, in, and maybe in their minds that the church has you know put aside. Um, but I can tell you this that the younger generation of priests, those priests have been ordained in the last 10 years, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, it's my generation that is not open. Um, it's, it's the younger generation is open. And I think that if young people are patient, and that means that younger bishops are open, you know, because, uh, you know, so goes priests, so goes bishops. Right. There's a whole, there's going to be a whole new generation of bishops that are going to be serving uh, the church as shepherds in the next 10 years who are also much more open to this great liturgical patrimony and who have not sort of been through the liturgical wars yeah. like those in my generation have. Uh, so I think that just, I think to be patient, be kind, be charitable, but be persistent. That's great. That, thank you so much for sharing all this, uh, Your Excellency. Um, I, I'm just in awe of, of uh, everything you've done in your diocese and for the church in, in general. So thank you very much for your time. Keep me in your prayers. I appreciate that. I will. I will.